So I'm calling to order the um, meeting of December 4th for the Marin County Transit District Board of Directors and um, would ask our clerk, is there anyone participating remotely today? There were no requests for remote participation by any directors. Thank nope. you. Okay, so with that, we'll, at, we'll um, let folks know how they can participate in the meeting, and then we'll do roll call. At today's meeting, in-person comments will be held before be heard before virtual comments. If you're joining us on Zoom and you would like to comment, please use the raise hand icon located on your screen. If you're participating by phone call, please press star nine to raise your hand. When it is your turn to speak, your name will be called and you'll be prompted to unmute your device. You will then have two minutes to speak. This concludes the instructions and I will now call roll. President Rice? Here. Vice President Colbert? Here. Second Vice President Lucan? Director Moulton Peters? <laughs> Here. Director Rodoni? Here. Director Sackett? Here. Director Bushy? Here. Director Casisa? Here. Thank you. We have a quorum. All right. Thank you, Kate. Um, and now our next item is open time for public expression for items that are not on our agenda today. Is there anyone here in the audience who would like to speak? Not seeing anyone. Kate, is there anyone online? I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hands on Zoom. There are no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. Okay. So with that, we are on to item three, which is Board of Directors matters. Anything that a director would like to bring up or share? No? Okay. That's done. So now we're on to the general manager's report, item four. Nancy, I'll hand it over to you. Good morning. Good morning, President Rice and members of the board. Uh, I'd like to start off by introducing two of our newest employees, Alma Osorio and Ramundo Villari. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to give you a little background on both of them. So um, you guys can sit down. You have, all right. <laughs> Alma Osorio is our new capital analyst. Uh, she previously was a temp for us this last summer, helping us out with our school programs, working with the operations team. And um, so that included our yellow bus program, as well as the youth pass program. She then applied for and was selected to fill the permanent capital analyst position, working with our our operations, I mean, excuse me, with our capital team in uh, in September. Uh, she's worked for 16 years in the international energy market in positions throughout uh, the U.S. and abroad. She has a Bachelor of Business Administration degree from the Universidad del Rosario in Bogota. She lives here in Marin County, and we are very happy to have her helping out on our capital projects. All right. Our second employee here is Raimundo Videri who has been with um, Marin Transit for less than a week as our new outreach coordinator. So it's <laughs> a real uh, introduction here, true introduction. And we know Ramunda well because he worked for uh, Transdev as a travel navigator and then as a travel navigator coordinator for our Marin Access Services for the past nearly two years. Uh, previous to his position at Transdev, he worked with adults with de developmental disabilities He's a graduate of uh, Texas Independent Baptist Seminary. Uh, he has a Bachelor of Science in Pastoral Theology, and he is also a welcome addition to our planning team. Right, so. Wow, great. Well, <laughs> welcome to both of you. Uh, Oma, is it Oma? Alma. Alma, Alma. Yeah. Alma and uh, Ramundo, um, you joined a small but mighty team, and I guess you're probably already a little familiar with staff, but what a great 
what a great agency. So welcome. And sounds like you bring amazing background and skill set and also uh, background in terms of great lunchtime conversations too, uh, un unrelated to transit. So welcome. Thank you. Um, all right, Kate, if you want to advance the slides. So our staff have been working on the next service change, which takes effect on January 14th. Um, most operators in the Bay Area have agreed to make service changes twice a year on the same date. And the agreed upon change is the Sunday following the second Saturday in the months of January and August. And by synchronizing service change dates across transit operators throughout the Bay Area, schedules and services should be more clear to riders and it makes transferring between systems a lot easier. So we're really happy that we're seeing this across the region. Our schedule changes are minor uh, schedule and runtime changes on about seven routes, and that's due to traffic, uh, roadway uh, construction, and school belt changes. And there are no significant uh, service level changes, though. So and there's, uh, that information is being put out, of course, to all of our riders now. Next slide. Uh, we've recently begun a new coordination effort with Marin and Sonoma Transit Agencies, where uh, the transit operators and uh, Marin County and Sonoma County do form what we think is a unique subregion. And we have a history of coordinating with all of the transit services in, in this area, both our services fairs, marketing, uh, bus stops, and schedules to improve the network of transit services in the area. The changes in travel patterns, uh, some new funding realities, uh, local and regional planning efforts to improve transit have prompted the transit agencies to consider how to better coordinate these efforts in, in the two counties. Recently, uh, Golden Gate Bridge District convened the Marin and Sonoma agencies, uh, transit operators, MTC, uh, Sonoma County Transportation Authority and MTC to discuss the Bridge District Strategic Planning Initiative and as a part of this discussion, the agencies determined that a comprehensive service plan covering the two county area should be undertaken with a, a goal of optimizing service and facilitating the best trip for riders. And the effort would focus on the 101 corridor where services are provided by most operators that, with connections and, and in some cases some overlap. Um, other opportunities through this uh, initial meetings have been identified and a framework for work plan has been drafted. Uh, Kathleen Sullivan from our team is actually going to lead some of the, the planning work, and we're kicking that off uh, in January and expect to complete it in about 12 to 18 months. So we're pretty excited about this sub-regional effort. Okay, next slide. On a more regional, uh, Bay Area-wide basis, uh, the Regional Network Management Council convened its first meeting on November 27th, and the two main topics discussed there were the charter and work plan. And just to remind you, this is a part of a, a, an outgrowth of the transformation action plan and trying to, again, improve regional coordination among transit agencies. The work plan actions are focused on kind of, I highlighted three things, the direct benefits to riders, um, that the, the purpose will also be to demonstrate to uh, a positive change to policymakers and riders ahead of a potential 2026 regional measure, which is focused on the funding aspect of, of our needs. And then also, again, it was guided by the transformation action plan. So uh, I might just also remind you that this Regional Network Management Council is made up of general managers from transit agencies, and it 
effectively reports up to the Regional Network Management Committee, which has uh, is formed by a committee of the commission and includes our uh, own Stephanie Moulton Peters. So we'll have more to report on that. So next next slide. I was able to attend a Senate Select Committee hearing last week um, where Bay Area transportation leaders and policy advocates testified uh, be before the Senate Select Committee convened by uh, Senator Scott Weiner. It focused on uh, the impact of the 2023-24 fiscal year 24 state budget and how it included $1.1 billion for uh, flexible funding to help transit agencies in California avoid near-term service cuts as well as the future fiscal challenges expected by many of the Bay Area transit agencies. There were more than a, a dozen transit agencies and advocacy groups that <clears throat> updated the committee about the Bay Area transit's future and fiscal projections as well as service plans and other customer-focused initiatives. And then excuse me, MTC informed the committee on the progress of the Transit Transformation Action Plan and discussed a possible regional measure, a funding measure that might be considered as early as 2026. And just Senator Weiner then noted that the goal should be to establish and um, should be to stabilize and increase funding for transit. And the purpose of the hearing was really to gather and inform future state initiatives. So it's an interesting one. It's held at MTC. That's the reason I was there. So next slide. Okay, and then um, lastly, we uh, at our at your last board meeting, staff presented the year-end financial report, and Director Casisa asked why property tax was declining, and uh, we reviewed the chart after we got back to the office and found that there was a duplication of colors on the bar chart, which made it confusing to see which. Um, a part of our revenues were increasing and decreasing. So we've corrected that and replaced the chart. And then further, um, the, this chart reflects and did previously reflect only the property tax that is used for operations. So um, we do use property tax for capital projects as well. And so the overall bottom line is that the total property tax does continue to grow. So I think that was uh, just a slight mistake that we had on the slide there. Okay, next slide, Kate. Um, and then for our monthly monitoring report, which we provide you, uh, there are two lines on this chart, always showing our prior year ridership in gray, and the red line shows the current uh, fiscal year ridership. And we are showing again that our, you know, our ridership had leveled off over the past six months, but it seems to be picking up a bit again. And you can see here that um, we're now uh, increased up to 264,000 passengers, to a little more than that, in the month of September. And we are estimating that this increase may be due to the result of, of riders returning due to the reliability of um, that they're seeing in our, our service that when we made the June service changes. So we're um, optimistic that, that that trend will continue. <clears throat> Next slide. <clears throat> Um, and on the, the demand response side, uh, we are still seeing some low ridership there, slightly lower than we, we were in September of last year. And we did make changes to pair, marine access service in, excuse me, in July, beginning in July. And we're still kind of seeing what kind of an effect that might have had on ridership. So we're continuing to monitor that. And... That concludes my, actually, um, just 
concludes my report, but I did want to just highlight for the consent calendar that there is the board meeting schedule is included in there. We generally uh, convene this group on the first Monday of the month, except when there are holidays. And the thing that has changed for this next year, for so for calendar year 24, is the meeting start time will be 9.30 instead of 10. And that helps with the scheduling of this room. So um, I think that's it. And just want to wish everybody happy holidays before you all adjourn. So thank you. All right. Thank you, Nancy. Um, two things before I look, uh, actually, are there any, any questions or comments on the general manager's report and with the caveat that I'm actually going to ask that when we get to the consent calendar, we pull, we have just a, a deeper conversation about 5D, which is the quarterly performance report, which actually captures a lot of the monthly monitoring that, so if, if you have questions about that, we'll hold till there, but okay. Just. Yeah, go ahead, uh, uh, director. Yeah. No, my, it's my Monday morning rustiness. Rodoni. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Nancy, I'm pleased to see the Marin Sonoma Transit Coordination conversation. Wondering if you think there's a possibility that you could actually sort of look outside the box and actually see how what the residents' travel patterns actually are. And the reason I mentioned that, and we've talked about this, because mm -hmm. uh, much of West Marin and Northern Marin actually go to Sonoma for a lot of services. Mm -hmm. So I think there may be a natural connection there. And so I'm glad that you're having this conversation Great. with Sonoma. So okay. Thank you. And I, I'll just say that we are uh, one of the advantages to including MTC is that there are there are different planning efforts going on, and one of them is um, plan. Bay Area 2050 plus, I always get the name wrong, but basically their plan and some other subsidiary efforts that will include some travel demand forecasting um, by them and some others. So I'll just make sure that we understand that and get back to you on that. Mm -hmm. right. Director Moulton-Peters. You know, I was just going to add, I'm very glad to see the Marin Sonoma planning effort happen. I think this is a way that the North Bay can play a leadership role in looking at how to true up our transit services uh, We because we're small but mighty, as you said, <laughs> Katie. I, I wondered, uh, Nancy, is there a lead agency for this effort or is it a collective effort at this point? It's very much a collective effort. We have kind of set out some guiding principles and um, that might be kind of like a charter, but what we agreed to is that the, there is a general manager group, executive director group, and then there is a, a staff TAC planning group. And so far, uh, what we're doing is uh, transitioning or deciding on how the leadership should transition by month. We're meeting monthly, so we have kind of a monthly schedule, and, um, and I'm chairing the next meeting. Great. Glad to hear that. And I also want to support uh, Director Rudoni's comments about really looking at current travel patterns and whether uh, northbound travel isn't a bigger uh, demand than we realize. Anyone else? All right. Um, so, Kate, can we can go then to um, public comment. I don't see anyone here in the chambers. Is there anyone online that would like to comment on the general manager's report? I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hands. There are no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. All right. So with that, we're going to move on to the consent calendar. And as I noted, um, I'm hoping, Nancy, we can just take a little bit more of a dive on 5D, 
um, not towards any, uh, I don't have any problems with the report. I just, I have some questions towards how I just towards fleshing out some things. And I actually, um, I actually would love a little bit of a deeper dive in ter terms into your analysis of the impact of the June system changes, which from my read look like staff did a really, really great job. Um, but I, I thought it would be worth talking um, about those, about that for sure, that the June system changes and, and what we're surmising um, and anything else that came up in there for folks. And also, oh, I know, um, also just a, a little bit more about Marin access. I mean, it's really lagging at what near, just hovering under 40%. Mm -hmm. um, so just, I think a little bit more um, discussion about that uh, and what uh, staff's intention is about trying to understand better what's happening there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to ask, because Osher Butnick put the report together, I'm going to ask him to come up. He might be able to answer some specific questions about the analysis, particularly on the fixed route side. On the, the marine access services, we are, in fact, doing a deeper dive because, mm -hmm. yeah, we're, we've been seeing this kind of uh, trend without our return of riders and trying to figure that out. So I can ask uh, Robert or, yeah, Robert, are you okay, willing to answer some questions about that in terms of the, the details of what our work plan is to actually get into that deeper dive uh, in terms of uh, surveying, you know, that, that sort of thing and who we're talking to about why our writers haven't returned. So, um, and maybe, um, Asher, if you, uh, so President Rice, would you like us to just speak to the quarterly report generally yeah. about the analysis yeah, yes. and, and how? If you could focus in mostly on um, on the analysis, it, maybe other folks have other questions, mm -hmm. but just sort of the analysis of the June system changes. And I mean, it's it's in the staff report. There's there's a deeper dive. But from my read, it looks like the changes that were made. Um, not only helped us um, maximize the efficiency of what we could put on the road, um, but also really served our riders well. Yeah, and I think just to remind the the board and the public that the changes we made in, in June, it was considered major because it, it touched so many routes. It was a, a lot of minor changes, if you will, but there were um, it, it took a significant effort to get that word out uh, and to make sure our riders knew that there were options if their routes were and schedules were changing. So, and again, to your point, we were trying to you address really the driver shortages, not so much a financial shortage, but driver shortages that we had and how we could best use those resources. And so deploying drivers more efficiently and yet not reducing the number of service hours that riders would see. So um, I think if that captures it and if you want to speak to some of the analysis, then it's hard. There you go. Sure. Um, I don't have a presentation ready, but um, I, I'll just say that when I was going over the performance metrics, we saw a lot of changes in ridership that I think we would expect to see based on the uh, route changes. And that really shows to us that riders are finding their way towards the new routes mm -hmm. um, and that riders know where they're going. So for example, ridership on the 35, which is our highest ridership route, went down, but then ridership went up really significantly on the other routes that now serve mm -hmm. Novato because the 35 doesn't go through to Novato anymore. So we saw a really big ridership increase on both the 71 and the 49, which is what we would expect to see. It shows that riders 
are finding their way to the to to their new routes. Um, and and similarly with um, the fifty seven and the forty nine, because the fifty seven, which used to be the two fifty one, no longer sorry Western Nevada, and the forty nine does that route now. So the forty nine is taking some of those passengers, and we're seeing that shift. And so we're seeing that passengers are finding their way um, on the new services. Um, we're also seeing that uh, um, miss service is going down. I know that the year over year miss service uh, went down. I have the numbers in front of me. It's like a little under a hundred miss trips went went down, which is great. But the the thing that the quarterly report doesn't show because the due to the seasonal nature of our service, we always compare to the same quarter of the prior year. But over the course of the last fiscal year, miss service really went up. And so if we were to compare Q1 to Q4 of last year, we'd see an even steeper decline. I think I don't have the number in front of me, but my memory is that there were over a thousand missed trips in Q4 of last year. So we're really seeing a very steep decline in missed service, which is great. Thank you. I would just add that I think that the outreach that uh, we undertook was was very helpful to our writers because they could make that switch then. They understood how to make the changes that Osher just went over. So it was a good investment. Yeah, I think, and I, my observation was that, you know, often we do a lessons learned when things fail mm -hmm. um, and, and nothing's ever perfect, but I'm, I'm just, it, it's looking to me like the, um, analysis that went into the proposed changes and then the feedback loop. You got a lot of feedback from our board. You got feedback from uh, folks, um, our regular riders, and there were some adjustments made. Uh, and then the communication um, was key, of course, as those changes went in place. Sounds like, uh, you know, a really a, a job well done. Um, so anyway, I, I wanted to highlight it. So kudos to all, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we potentially didn't lose someone. What I'm most mm -hmm. interested, I'm interested in, did we lose folks? Mm -hmm. uh, but then also do, did we gain any new riders and going forward? I think that's good. I don't, that's a difficult thing to measure. Um, but the degree to which we're actually bringing on board folks who haven't ridden transit before, I think, um, would be something to try to try to get a gauge of mm -hmm. going forward. All right, Robert, on to you. Well, two other things I would just add on on the quarterly report. First, um, one thing we aren't we're showing missed service, but we aren't showing on time performance, and that was another um, big reason we did the the changes in June because traffic continues to worsen. In fact, what we're doing for January continues to respond to worsening traffic conditions. So, unfortunately, we are continuing to have to add runtime, add layover and recovery to make sure that our services is not only on time, but reliable. So those are those are two other things that, that we're seeing positive performance on that don't show up in the quarterly report. I think overall Q1, we were up 4% from last year, but I think really the numbers that, that I'm excited about are the September and what you'll see in the October uh, monthly reports, those numbers are going up even more significantly. And I think that to me, uh, is reassurance that that a lot of the the school related trips are being preserved. I know a focus of the June in an area that we had concern. We're taking away some of those supplemental routes and putting those into the regular fixed route services. Um, and at least based on the ridership numbers, I'm fairly confident that those students continue to have the services. It's just through another means and another route number uh, within the system. So to respond to the uh, Marin Access question. Yes, we as staff uh, sat down a couple months ago recognizing that our ridership is not 
coming back. And in fact, when we compare to our peers, it's also not coming back at rates that we're seeing um, with some of our other Sonoma Napa uh, partner agencies. So um, I've been working with uh, the planning team to start to pull some initial data. We're looking uh, in detail at data from a pre-COVID time to a current day time to really understand um, things like unique riders, to look at ODs, to, uh, to, to determine what's changed in terms of where people are going, when they're traveling, how often they're traveling. And we've just started now to look at some of those uh, early results. Uh, the next phase of that is is probably going to be reaching out to our partner agencies because, you know, a lot of the demand on those services um, come from different social service agencies, different day programs, different um, senior uh, activity centers around the county. So where we're seeing significantly significant changes, we're going to be doing some outreach and trying to collect some information to really paint the full picture of what's happening with Marin Access. Um, so those those results are yet to come, but we are actively working on that deep Good. dive. Great, thank you. Uh, yes, Director Moulton Peters. Yeah, I I'm glad you asked about this, President Rice. Um, you know, Robert, when you reach out to your agency partners, which I think is great, you might include a question about what would it take for your riders to come back to Marin Access. You're going to ask it different ways, but but I think that might be just an invitation to uh, people may need an invitation to come back. Um, anyway, uh, uh, great to hear that you're following up on all this. Thanks. Director Sackett. Yeah, so I appreciate um, the report and, and seeing the increase um, in ridership and that we have less missed service. Can you just speak to what the state of the drivers, because my understanding was a lot of that misservice was because of driver shortage. Is that starting to stabilize? Is it getting better? Yes, it's it's definitely getting better, especially on the Marin Access side. We are um, pretty much fully staffed now on the Marin Access program where we were down, I think, 30 or 40 percent um, earlier this year. So that that's very encouraging. Um, the fixed route side is also improved. Unfortunately, we we do continue to have uh, missed service from week to week. Um, right now, um, staffing levels are high, but absenteeism is is growing around yeah. the holiday season. So, um, unfortunately, we we are still seeing um, some missed service, but it's not nearly at the levels that we were experiencing earlier in the year. Okay. All right. Um, thank you, Robert. And um, Asher, and I have one other question on the consent calendar on uh, 5F. Um, I think as part of that staff report in the packet, um, there was something about transit priority improvements. And I just I'm um, wondering if you could talk about that a little bit more. Sure. So um, the item is purchasing some routers for our, our buses and basically improving the information that that we get about the where the, where our buses are but basically one of the reasons for doing it is also because those routers can then communicate with signals for signal priorities so if we as we are seeking um, a transit signal priority project in fact in San Rafael right now um, this is a technology that would be required to be able to have the buses communicate with the signals. And Robert, you can 
perhaps enhance that? I don't know. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, that that was a great summary. This is yeah, this this is important for us to basically participate in that um, signal uh, priority network. This the city is a, city of San Rafael specifically, especially in the downtown, has invested a lot of money into a cloud based system that allows their emergency services and smart to have some interaction with the signal. Um, system. And through our discussions, um, there there is a mutual interest for transit to participate in that. But the first step is for us to get the right hardware in place. Um, so that hardware, as Nancy mentioned, um, one of the major benefits is the ability for us to, to enable that communication. But it also allows us to do public Wi-Fi. It allows us to do better integration of our onboard systems and opens up new opportunities uh, for kind of the operations monitoring side as well. Okay, great. So I suspect we'll be hearing more about transit priority improvements in the future, potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So if there's no other questions or comments about the consent calendar, can we go to folks online? Yes. Kevin Carroll, please unmute. Good morning. Uh, Kevin, you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Keep going. We can barely hear you. You hear me now? Yes, go ahead. Two points I'd like to make as the father of a 40 year old disabled son. Uh, you was burned several times by former operators of the service, and he just won't get on a van again. Uh, I honestly don't know how you would ever get him on one. He'd rather pay Uber than ride on an access van. The second is that in seniors using the access Never in the discussion have I heard, are you studying or investigating what the villages and the Sausalito Cars programs are doing? I'm finding a lot of my senior customers in Southern Marin, uh, when I know they're having trouble, I've referred them to the villages. And I think you've lost a lot of people uh, to those volunteer drivers and those organizations. And I'm wondering if there's any communication or integration. Thank you. Thank you. Daniel DeShazo, please unmute. Yes, hello. Hi, yeah. Go ahead, Daniel. Oh. I had uh, two issues. Um, one was the overlap of the um, connection between the Golden Gate Transit and the Marin Transit at the Novato uh, site at Redwood and Grant. And the Golden Gate Transit is scheduled to get to the Novato stop at, uh, at on the half hour. You know, like seven thirty, eight thirty, um, and and the Marin Transit 
Uh, hey, one second, one second. Uh, I, I was trying to call and see if I could get my, uh, I didn't have a way to get my message on. One second. Hello? Yeah, we're here. We're listening to you. We no. hear you. You're yeah, I'm on the Zoom. One second, please. I'm on the Zoom meeting. Uh, thank you very much for your help. Yeah, I'm talking to him right now. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that was the person that I was uh, on hold waiting to see how I could do this. Um, anyway, the uh, Marin Transit time for leaving the Novato uh, uh, stop is uh, 27. In other words, it's at 327. So when the when the 101 gets there, it's at 3.30. Now, I just missed it by three minutes, and I have to wait 27 minutes to, to pick, you know, to catch that bus. Uh, so I'm wondering if uh, that, you know, you can adjust that schedule somehow. Thank you, Daniel. Kate Powers. Please unmute. Good morning. Thank you. Um, I uh, appreciate the Marin Transit's efforts to look deeper into Marin access and the ridership there. I think it's really important to understand um, how those um, who depend who depend and depended on Marin access access and paratransit are um, still able to get around. And I hope that Vivalon is one of the agencies that um, Marin Transit is um, looking into the free services and the medical rides and things that they provide. I think it's important that um, this uh, analysis looks at how um, Marin Access and paratransit services depend on volunteer services and how the two approaches can work together and how we can support those who are providing the volunteer services that are people are taking advantage of that are not being picked up by the agencies. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. I see Daniel's hand is raised again. Um, Daniel, please unmute. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you. Um, I was trying to, well, I was sidetracked, but uh, it was on the scheduling of the buses at the Novato Transit uh, Center. Yeah, I think we got your question, Daniel, and we'll yes. have we'll have staff. I'll have staff respond. Thank you. There are no additional raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. Okay. All right. So we have a couple questions there and comments. I don't know who wants to take it? Everything. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I, Robert, if you want to address the question about the scheduling at Redwood and Grant. Yeah, I I think we have five routes that serve Redwood and Grant. So I'd first need to understand which which route uh, the connection's coming from on the 101. Um, but, you know, between the 101 and our local service, schedules do change throughout the day. So we don't run a perfect clock face headway at Redwood and Grant like we do at the Transit Center where we're focused on facilitating those connections. So, you know, 
the 101 may come in at 30 after at 3.30 in the afternoon, but it may come in at 24 after at 9.30 or 9.24 in the morning. So there may be some parts of the day when those schedules come out of alignment and other times when they do meet, but I'd have to look specifically at which routes that connection's being missed on. Okay. I'll have Dan, we'll have asked Daniel to maybe uh, call in or, or write in the specific routes he's concerned about the connectors. Okay. And then um, I think the, um, Oh, uh, Kevin's comment around, you know, what maybe maybe folks are using other um, opportunities to get around the villages, et cetera. I think it's a really good point. And I think that's part of understanding the entire universe of what's going on out there. Um, we may ho hopefully we're not just losing riders. Maybe we're losing riders to other services, which isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as people are able to get where they need to get. But I do um, think it's a um, valuable comment and hope it's part of our scope in terms of understanding uh, what Marin Transit can do to improve service and or better complement what else what else is out there. Uh, I think that was pretty much it, right? The Marin Access and the Redwood and Grant comments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So with that, we will. I will be looking for a motion to approve the consent calendar in whole. I'll move consent. I'll second. We have a motion, Lucan, second, Colbert, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. That is unanimous. And now we're on to the item six, which is the Marin Transit Annual Comprehensive Aye. Financial Report for fiscal 22-23. Yes. Um, so as you know, every year we have a, a financial audit and Karina Sawin is our audit manager. She's gonna give a report out on this year's audit. Good morning. I don't know if you can hear me. There we go. Uh, good morning, President Rice and members of the board. My name is Karina Sawin, Accounting Manager at Marin Transit. Um, item six in your packet today is the fiscal year 2023 annual comprehensive financial report, otherwise known as the ACFR. So um, I'd first like to take the time to thank Marin Transit Finance Department um, for the great work done throughout the year, which resulted in another smooth audit process this year. So very thankful for that. Um, today's report also includes our federal single audit, which is required by the federal government when expenditures of federal awards exceeds $750,000 in one fiscal year. Um, so this report meets those needs. And we also hope meets the needs of our writers and your board as it presents the district's finances in a standardized and transparent way. So Mays & Associates is the firm that completed the audit of Marin Transit's financial statements this year, which is the first year of a new contract with them. Our principal auditor, David Alvey, presented to the audit ad hoc committee meeting on November 6th, where Mays & Associates presented a clean or what they call unmodified opinion, which means they found no material deficiencies or weaknesses. Um, one thing I would like to note now is that there is a small text error in the management's discussion and analysis section, which we will be correcting before we print out their post the final version of the, the report. So some points to note from the report is Marin Transit ended the fiscal year in a strong financial position with the fully funded reserve. Um, which is equal to six months of operating expenses and with a net position of $84.4 million. 
There was also a 4% increase in capital assets in fiscal year 23, um, which was mainly due to the purchase of the right-of-way at 3010-3020 Kerner, which is the property adjacent to our existing paratransit maintenance facility in San Rafael. Um, and I think those were the main things I wanted to point out. We do did do a deeper dive in the audit process and um, in the report at our audit ad hoc committee meeting. But with that, that concludes my report for today and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you, Karina. Any questions, uh, Eric? Uh, no questions, just as a member of the ad hoc committee, I just want to commend Karina uh, and the whole team at Marin Transit and getting this all together. Oh, we did have a meeting with Mays and Associates, uh, although this is uh, a rather sort of routine thing that we do uh, every year. I don't think as a board we ever want to take for granted uh, the amazing professional staff that we have, the sound uh, a fiscal picture that we have as an agency and as a member of the ad hoc. Just wanted to mention that uh, as we hear this item. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, as a member of the audit committee, I'll just uh, second everything uh, Director Lucan said. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Any any questions? Uh, so, um, Kate, are there is there anyone from the public that'd like to speak on this item? Uh, yes, Daniel DeShazo, please unmute. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There were several things that happened. Anyway. Um, I understood the the comment on the schedules uh, where they uh, Daniel Daniel we've yeah. moved on to the financial report if you could could you either call into Marin Transit or send um, send us an email with your specific route okay. issues that would be best okay can I bring up my second issue. The the uh, signboards at the at the Navarro uh, stop. The southbound one is very nice. It gives me the one hundred one, the seventy one, the forty nine. The northbound one has never worked. It doesn't work now. It never worked when it was put in. Thank you, Daniel. And I think we can tie that to the financial report in terms of looking at our capital investment that make sure we're getting our the bang for our buck. Okay. There are no additional raised hands. Thank you. All right. So um, now I'm bringing it back here, looking for a motion to accept the report. I'll move, uh, I'll move acceptance of the report. Second. We have motion Colbert, second uh, Bushy. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. And the report is accepted. Thank you very much, Karina. Now we're on to item seven, and that's the annual school transportation services report. We have a double team here to present this item. Robert Betts and Chris Whitlock will be presenting our school services report. Good morning, President Rice, Robert Betts, Director of Operations and Service Development, joined uh, with Chris by Chris Whitlock, our senior operations analyst and school guru to give you our annual report on our school transportation services. Uh, this is a report where we typically just report back on our youth pass uh, program, our comm card program, and then our efforts in the Ross Valley related to yellow bus. This year, we've expanded it a little bit to kind of paint a little larger picture of how our services are being used today by our youth riders and also to to really help complete the picture about every all the services that are being provided not just the ones by marin transit 
but also those services that we help subsidize and support through the uh, school district yellow bus programs. Next slide. So I'm going to walk you through kind of the first three items on the list that that uh, home to school transportation summary, uh, an overview of our current services and our ridership report out. And then Chris is going to um, give you an update on the uh, youth pass program from last year, the com card program and our yellow bus program. Next slide. Next slide. Okay, so in Marin County, when we talk about student transportation or youth transportation, there's really three buckets of categories related to busing. Uh, the first is our yellow school bus program. As you'll see in the following slides, this is the largest, both in terms of the number of schools that are served and the number of students that are transported on a daily basis. For the most part, these programs are provided um, and funded through the school districts uh, with support through uh, Marin Transit and our Measure AA dollars. There is uh, our one example in Ross Valley where Marin Transit is actually the lead agency on that program, and Chris will talk a little bit more about that program. The second bucket is public transit service, and these are um, services that are set up to um, serve schools that lie along our key uh, arterial corridors where our, our fixed route tra uh, services travel. Um, they typically serve high school and middle school markets and those students that have a little bit more independence in their travel. These are pay-as-you-go services, paying you know, on a per-trip basis or uh, buying one of our uh, period pass programs. And then the third uh, bucket is what we call supplemental school services. And these are services that we deploy school days only, largely to serve an unmet need that our public transit program is unable to serve either through capacity issues or more and more the case becomes schools that are not located on our core network that still have the demands from uh, the student ridership markets. Next slide. I did want to um, remind your board that uh, over about 10 years ago, we initiated a study that we call the Coordinated School Transportation Study. And at that time, we were going through a lot of change between um, Golden Gate Transit, who, who was our previous primary contractor of all of our home to school programs, um, in signaling to us that they no longer wanted to do that service. And we were kind of at a crossroads of, of how to continue to support those the mobility needs of youth uh, while working with our other contractors and ultimately opening up new options through Yellow School Bus Services. That study was co-funded by um, Marin County of Marin County Office of Education and TAM, and we really looked holistically at the universe of services that were out there today and put together a framework for how we could advance those and really serve more and more students through busing options. A couple of the key takeaways that I think are important to, to uh, pull out of that study. The first is when we look at models that are really best equipped to serve the needs of students, that study made a recommendation that for our our elementary school and really our middle school markets, our K through eight markets, yellow school bus service is really the most appropriate um, option for those students. But as students get older, as they transition into high school, have more independence, have more flexibility with their schedule, the public transit becomes a better option to, to serve those students. The other thing that uh, that study highlighted for us is, is the fact that there is some discrepancy in terms of the fares on those programs. 
And, and we're often asked this question and, and we get these requests by the school districts to say, you know, we want public transit, not necessarily because it's the best model for our students and the most reliable way for our students to get to school, but because it is a pay-as-you-go model and it is uh, primarily subsidized and supported by somebody other than, than us. And that study recognized that that isn't the best approach. And, and really, you need to have some, some uh, a better alignment of those two products to really match the needs of the student, not necessarily the financial realities of those programs. Um, service levels, and this is true today, are largely based upon um, funding and capital investments, both in terms of the equipment and the facilities. We have these, these same issues between Yellow Bus and our, our uh, fixed route program. And really to advance the needs and to grow that program forward, there is additional work that needs to be put in in terms of what's the appropriate organizational structure, what's the financial plan, what's the timeline for implementation. Um, when this study concluded, we, we went through about three years of an uh, ad hoc school committee, uh, and we did make a lot of progress, and then the pandemic hit. But I just wanted to bring that back to your board, that, that, that we do have a pretty good framework in place. There was a lot of effort put in, and we've largely been trying to follow that plan as we move forward with, with serving youth in the county. Next slide. Next slide. Uh, Current uh, home to school transportation services. So this is a snapshot of how these services were deployed last year. These are the 10 school districts that lie within the urbanized area of Marin County. And what you'll see on the chart here is eight of the 10 have some type of busing program. The majority have six school districts that actually have yellow school bus service uh, offered to those uh, students. There's another five that have supplemental public transit, and then there are four others that also have uh, regular public transit services. Um, and you can see in some cases, all three are offered based on the different ages and the, the different school sites uh, for our youth. Next slide. And this map shows geographically where these services are provided. I think a couple takeaways from this. Um, first, yellow, you know, the majority of schools on the map here are served by yellow school bus programs. Those schools tend to be focused in Southern Marin and Central Marin. Um, Novato uh, noticeably does not have any yellow school bus uh, or yellow school bus options provided. But the supplemental and the public transit services um, do serve Novato. Um, and, and more so than, than some of the Southern and Central uh, school districts. Next slide. Next slide. A summary of the ridership. So this is our estimates in terms of unlinked passenger trips. So not necessarily number of students served, but the number of trips that are occurring between the AM and PM uh, bell times on a typical school day in Marin County. Uh, yellow school bus service, we estimate 5,500 trips occur on this program. That's more than double um, what we're doing on the public transit network. On our public transit services, we estimate about 2,000 trips per day uh, are being made by uh, student riders, and about 25% of those are on those dedicated supplemental routes, um, the 600 series routes. And then with our ComCard program, approximately 500 trips per day uh, are being made by our College of Marin students. Next slide. 
This chart here shows, uh, I guess, for the last 10 years, our total ridership and what percent of that total ridership is made up for by our youth riders. So the light green bar at the bottom is going to show for our youth riders what percent ride you paying the, the cash youth fare. The darker green is showing our, our youth riders that pay uh, or that, that board using the, that ride using the youth pass. And then the uh, darker brown color is those percent of riders that ride using our comm card program. A couple takeaways. Um, first off, approximately 25 to 35%, it's varied over the years, of our total ridership are youth riders. And when I say youth riders, I'm saying... Um, 18 and under plus our, our College of Marin riders. So I'm, I'm blurring the line a little bit with those College of Marin riders. But uh, this last year, 25% um, of our total ridership was was um, by those, those riders. Uh, the lowest percentage did occur during the pandemic when a lot of our school sites were closed. Um, approximately half of all of our youth that ride, ride using the Comm Card program. I'm sorry ride using the youth pass program and then another 25% or 75% of our total youth riders are riding either with the youth pass or the comm card. Um, so about 25% of our youth are actually paying cash or using a, um, some form of, of period pass media. Next slide. And this slide just shows you a route by route comparison um, of our youth ridership. And a couple takeaways here, obviously our supplemental routes, those 600 routes, about 90% of our total ridership are youth riders. It's really catering to those students getting to and from school. On our other routes, they, they do vary a little bit. Um, on routes that serve College of Marin, especially the Kentfield campus, so that's Route 22 and 228, you can see that 30% um, of our riders on the 22 were just from College of Marin students. That's a, that's a huge percentage compared to many of our other routes. Um, and then our Novato-serving routes uh, tend to have higher percentages of youth riders than our Central and Southern Marin. And I think that directly reflects the fact that a lot of those other school districts um, are using the yellow school bus services more than the public transit services. Next slide. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Chris to give you an update on our Comm Card and Youth Pass program. Good morning, members of the board. Chris Whitlock, Operations Analyst. Um, to help accommodate uh, student transportation to school or recreational activities, Marin Transit provides two types of flash pass options for students, uh, the annual youth pass and the College of Marin Compass. Next slide. The annual youth pass is available to all K through 12 students who attend a school located within Marin County. Passes are $325 annually or can be acquired free through an application process. Uh, passes can be used as valid fare on any Marin Transit supplemental or fixed route service and can be used uh, without limit for the duration of the pass. Each school year, students must purchase a new pass or apply for a free one if they wish to continue to use the service. In the 2022-23 school year, there were 26 public or private schools participating in the program, and nearly every one of those schools has a designated youth pass coordinator which uh, who facilitates pass distribution, receives pass payments, and verifies the eligibility of the students applying for a free pass. 
For the few schools that do not have a youth pass coordinator, Marin Transit staff assists with processing and distributing passes to their students. Uh, in, that, in that same year, in the 2022-23 school year, uh, approximately 1,700 annual passes were distributed, which is a 10% increase over the previous year, and 96% of those passes were distributed for free. Students attending the College of Marin can acquire a COM flash pass at the school. As with the youth pass, as with the youth pass it provides unlimited access to Marin Transit services. However, COM passes are biannual and only valid for the duration of the semester. Payment for the pass is included in the student's school fees and determined by the number of credit units a student is registered for in each semester. The primary route used by COM students are routes 22 and 228 for the Kentfield campus and 57 for IVC and with Route 22 having the highest ridership for COM students. Uh, Route 22 operates every 30 minutes on weekdays from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and every 60 minutes in the evenings and on weekends. Next slide. So here we provide you with a breakdown of youth pass usage by school district, uh, listing the number of schools participating per district, the total numbers of passes distributed and the percentage of those passes distributed for free in 2022-23. Next slide. Next slide. So we'll now turn to looking at uh, Marin Transit's role in facilitating the distribution of funding to yellow bus programs that are located in the urbanized areas of the county. Approved by voters in 2018, Measure AA is a renewal and 30-year extension of a half-cent transportation tax expenditure plan. The measure allocates funding to school transportation and to select yellow bus programs. Beginning in FY20, the first three-year funding term was budgeted to allocate approximately $600,000 to five participating yellow bus programs. Uh, the second three-year term began in FY23, and we list all of those current participating programs on this slide. For FY23, $750,000 was allocated based on the approved distribution formula, which factored the cost of a one-way pass and the number of passes distributed for each program. Uh, due to lower expenditures during the pandemic, at which uh, time yellow bus programs were either suspended or operated at a reduced service level, uh, staff determined earlier this year that an additional $340,000 of funds was available for reimbursement. Your board approved the distribution formula for these additional funds in May. This resulted in an increase in available funds for the remaining two years of the second three-year funding term. So for FY24 and FY25, the total amount of reimbursable Measure AA funds increased to approximately $1,100,000. And to ensure funds are allocated appropriately, each participating program is required to submit an annual certification of eligibility to Marin Transit. Uh, this provides the uh, this document provides operational and budgetary information that ensures that the requirements for receiving the funds are met. Those requirements being uh, that they provide a discount of fifty percent or more to income qualified students, and that twenty percent of program expenses have been matched by local contributions. Next slide. So in addition to facilitating funding to select the yellow bus programs in the county, Marin Transit also manages the contract for the yellow bus program in the Ross Valley area, which serves White Hill Middle School, Hidden Valley Elementary, and Ross Valley Charter. 
The contract with the first service provider concluded in June through a competitive procurement process, which began at the beginning of this year. Staff received two responsive bids for proposals, each submitting pricing that was at least 20% higher than the previous year's rates. Based on the recommendation from the request for proposal evaluation committee, the contract was awarded to a new service provider that is Bowers Intelligent Transportation, effective this school year. As a result of an increase in operational costs, the price of a one-way bus pass increased to $575, as previously $515. However, to ensure that price is price for a pass is not a barrier to families in need, the income qualified passes uh, were decreased to $75 when previously $100. Year-to-date, 640 one-way passes have been distributed to 382 students, which is a 4% increase over last year. And income qualified passes have increased by 35%. For the past three years, White Hill bus passes have been distributed through a lottery process due to high demand on certain routes. Although the lottery provides process provides an equitable way of distributing those passes by giving each registrant an equal opportunity to be awarded and purchase a seat on the route of their choice, a significant amount of staff time is needed to plan and implement the whole process. Additionally, this year, staff have encountered an increase in customer service needs, which has required that more staff resources be allocated to the program. Our staff are currently assessing <clears throat> whether any structural changes or improvements can be made to the pass distribution process and reviewing how this will impact staff timing and resources next year. Staff will report back at a future date should any significant changes need to be made. And with that, I'll conclude our school transportation report. All right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, guys. Questions? Go ahead, Eric. I've got a couple. Um, one of them, uh, Robert, question for you on, on the slide that showed a percentage of riders that are youth. I, I think it was just about 20% uh, in this in this past year. Um, a good portion of them are, are the past riders. I think what I'm kind of thinking of is how many of those are paid fares? So if 96% of the past riders are free, yeah. Um, although 20% of our riders are youth, the ones that are actually paying the fares, they're paying a, a you know, a discounted fare. So it's 20% ridership, but fare revenue coming from zero to 18 is very low, correct? Yes, I believe so. And um, I don't know if we have that, that slide up there or if we can put it back up. It was in the middle of the presentation. Yeah. If, oh well. If if we can't, that that's okay. Um, I think it, it goes back to what we talked about at, at the last meeting, and also just the success we've seen during the summer months with um, free fares for youth. And I, I think this this slide shows that. I don't know how much money we are spending on collecting all the fares, validating the passes, renewing it every single year. But if ninety six percent of the youth passes are free, it does bring up an interesting question of whether or not is is it worth all of the resources that go into verifying, distributing, staffing that um, for that that dark green section on the youth pass. That's probably more of a comment. My apologies. <laughs> uh, the second question, um, moving on to the, the yellow school bus, um, because there is a big gap in Nevada. And I know we've talked about this before. Um, for the, the districts that do have them, what is the rough cost distribution between what we contribute and what the school districts are paying for the service? 
And can I flesh that question out a little bit more? There's not a slide that I, I think there's a slide missing here that does actually speak to the, not all of these yellow bus programs are funded exactly the same way. The formula coming from Marin Transit is the same, but the the balance is picked up in different ways by different uh, programs. So maybe you can speak to that. I'll, I'll start. Maybe Chris knows more about the specifics. But the one thing we do require on, on all the yellow bus programs we fund is a 20% local match. And that 20% can, can come from the district's uh, pool of money. It can come from state funds. We do continue to have legacy state funds and, in some cases, new state funding that's coming into those yellow bus programs. And I believe fair revenue, does that also account for the 20% local match? No, no, that's revenues, different. Yeah. Okay. Cities and towns. City and towns. Mm -hmm. So, so at a minimum, we want some skin in the game by those yellow bus programs to be participating financially. We then contribute the measure AA dollars, and typically, then fares are going to make up the balance. So that's where, you know, the school districts do have quite a variation in terms of what it costs to use some of these programs. In cases like Sausalito, Marin City, where it's essentially free to all students, the district is picking up the balance between what we're funding and any other contributions that, that they're receiving. Mm -hmm. Would there be a way to see kind of district by district what the full funding picture looks like? You know, this amount of money comes from the school district, this amount of money comes from the, the fares that are collected, and this is the amount of money that comes from Marin Transit? Yep. We we request that every year. Right. That's part of the annual certification of eligibility. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that could be distributed. I'd, I'd be curious in that. And the reason I ask is, you know, there's there's a lot of years that went into how we got to where we are. Uh, when I look at the Novato area, there, uh, although we do have the supplemental service, um, that serves the middle school and the high schools. There is no bus service for elementary schools. Uh, Novato Unified School District is one of the lower funded school districts in the county. They had to cut their their buses long before I think we were ever doing this. So therefore, they never had a, a service that we could match. Um, I haven't spoken to school district in a while. I don't know how they would even start a new service at this point. But from an equity lens, um, we are providing funds to the districts that were able to hang on to their buses for a little bit longer and now are able to keep them going. And the school districts that had to cut their buses earlier on are kind of kind of left out. Um, and when you look at the numbers in Novato, the number of green trips for, for youth, or, you know, we, we get this at TAM, uh, that are taking some, something other than a single, you know, occupancy vehicle um, is, is lower than anywhere else in the county. So there's 20 plus years that went into how we got here. Mm -hmm. I, this is not something that we're going to start turning around in just one budget cycle, but I just want to, you know, raise it for attention as we think about going from 750,000 a year up to 1.1 million on, in yellow bus service, how are we making sure that it is being spread in an equitable, equitable way across the county? Um, so having that, that picture of how these are funded could also create a model for uh, other school districts if they wanted to start a pilot or introduce it at one school to kind of show that funding breakdown. So that's why I'd be very interested in that data. Thank you. Yeah. Mary. I have a couple questions and comments, if that's okay. Um, so just on, on slide eight, I think there's a couple of inaccuracies. So Dixie School has been renamed Lucas Valley Elementary. So, um, and then I don't think Mary Silvera is 
listed on there. And I am almost positive that that elementary school is still receiving um, bus service. So just a couple of things on that. Um, on the flash pass um, for students, a, a couple questions. Um, how do you apply through the application process? And two, is the audience for that just intended to get to school or are we hoping that youth are using it more broadly? And I'll just comment that I don't think that any, I don't think it's broadly known. As a parent, I've never seen any solicitation or any, here's how you apply to get a youth pass. And I frankly don't know how that application process works. You wanna talk oh, through sure. the application process? Uh, yeah, so um, we, I mean, we we strong we rely on school coordinators uh, to help facilitate the information to families. Um, since they process the passes, they determine who's eligible for a free pass. Um, so uh, we do kind of depend on them for being able to communicate that to the families of their school. But it's only for free passes because I guess I oh. read heard this as there's also paid passes. So I guess I'm trying to look at the bigger picture as well. Right, right. So. Um, a lot of schools have access to uh, financial data or who receives free lunches or reduced lunches. Um, so they're able to determine who pays for a pass and who can receive it for free. And they'll distribute the uh, applications based on that. But uh, the youth passes in general, they can be used for transportation to school or any other activity, unlimited use for the duration of the pass. I think what what we find is it varies significantly throughout the county in terms of interest by the individual school site. So if a school has their own yellow bus program, they don't push our youth pass program, even in areas where we have good service like Tiburon. Tiburon, we have fixed route service that serves at least two of the three schools, but they have their own yellow bus program. So we don't get a lot of interest in youth paths applications. Um, but there's other school districts, especially like Nevada, where they rely heavily on public transit. And every year starting, you know, when the when the coordinators come back in August, we exchange information on the schedules. They uh, request the new application form. Some schools send that out as part of the, the welcome orientation packet. It's just part of all the forms that parents need to complete. Um, but most of those are, as Chris mentioned, get being distributed um, for free. So it's really targeting those with, with low-income status. So I think there's an opportunity to make it known how to apply for a youth pass, you know, maybe not for school trips and, and for folks who are willing to pay for it and to just make that known. And it may be a different or tweaking of how that message is carried out and who it gets to. Yeah. I think there's an opportunity there. And then, so kind of a global comment. It So I'm hyper-focused on the Miller Creek School District, which lost, you know, a large percentage of its buses this year due to loss of drivers, you know, three or four weeks into the school year. But one of the questions that's come up from that is when we lost the school bus routes, the yellow school bus routes, there was an increased demand for crossing guards. Mm -hmm. And so with, you know, our overlap with TAM, I would love to, to have a broader conversation and even to Supervisor Lucan's point of like, how are all these things paid for? Because one of the questions that came up is like, oh, if there's if you're not paying for buses, can you use that for crossing guards? And how do they rank on the, li 
the list and so forth. I don't have the answer, but I think it's ripe for bringing schools, TAM and yellow bus service into a, dis into a discussion to kind of see, is there a change in how things and on how funding should flow? I, I think another nice takeaway of this study is it it prioritized every school, every public school site in the county for busing services, because some schools are, you know, they're more neighborhood schools. They're they're set up for walking and biking trips. And we're not trying to say those trips need to be on a bus, but in districts where maybe there's a natural barrier like the 101 or maybe the 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 catchment for the school district extends far, far away from the school site. This study said those are high priority busing schools. Busing is really the safest and most efficient way to get students to school. So um, I will say that not all school sites are are you know are ranked the same in here, and and there are those trade offs where maybe the resources need to focus on walking and biking trips for these schools, and in other schools the resources need to focus on busing. Uh, Director Moulton Peters. Oh, sorry. It's all right. No, I just oh, turned mine on. I just had a quick question. Do school districts that have their own yellow school bus program, are they eligible for funding from from rent transit? Okay. Yes, we fund all the all, all, so, all but the, I don't see them on your list here. Public schools. In in the urbanized area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but Shoreline I, and, and Bolina Stinson are not okay. included in the fund. I noticed Laganitas shows up on your chart for youth path. But that doesn't mean they're funded in any other way through the other part of the program. I do not believe they have a yellow bus program any longer. They're done. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So they don't have youth path. Thank you. A couple of thoughts. I know you've now been asked to do more research. This always happens. Uh, I will observe that our 2015 school study is getting near 10 years old. So. But, but I also want to come with a solution, which is that, as I think Director Sackett pointed out, the school service is not just a Marin Transit conversation. Mm -hmm. It really is TAM as well. And TAM has its six-year Measure AA discussion coming up soon, uh, the next year or so. And then also our countywide transportation plan. I know I'd mentioned to uh, Nancy that I felt that some emphasis on school service in that plan ought to happen. Because again, as I think you commented, Brian, is 25% of our morning traffic is school traffic. So from a congestion management, we ought to look at schools and from a, just a family health, uh, we should look at schools. Bell times is a number, another thing that just has to be always looked at in this context. When the schools are not flexible with their bell times, the cost for all of our service goes up because we can only run run trip each way to schools. So that's a problem. So anyway, I'm suggesting that we also look for a larger container for this conversation that, that may make your additional research worthwhile. And then finally, just a detail, I'd like to note on slide number seven, where you've got the different school districts listed that I think uh, in the future, as you list TAM Union District, you might list these cities and areas served by TAM Union, it's a little opaque that what that really means mm -hmm. and that you have service uh, in the various cities for the high school students. Yeah. Okay. Those are my comments. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thanks. I just have 
a question and a comment. On slide seven, I noticed under Ross Valley that you don't, though you do not know public transit. Is that because there's no dedicated line to White Hill? Because it's my understanding that there's a lot of kids using the public transit route. So I'm just, I'm just sort of confused by that. Oh yeah. That is an omission. We, we do have sup, supplemental on there, but public transit also serves um, at least the, the White Hill site. Okay. That, that was, that was it. just a minor thing. And um, more importantly, you mentioned uh, Chris, and I, I think the kudos should go to you that there's been some customer service needs uh, significantly during the Ross Valley Yellow school bus program. And that's true uh, for a variety of reasons, including a new uh, provider and whatnot. And so, Nancy, I just wanted to thank uh, you and your team for sort of stepping into, into that breach. I know it's been um, quite a, a challenge uh, for your team. So thank you. Okay. And I, I think I um, appreciate the comments around around making sure we do look at this in the sort of the, the with the larger, more comprehensive lens, though there's there's only so much Marin Transit can drive. And and then uh Director Lucan, to your point, you know, these programs, the, the yellow bus service, all these programs have evolved over time from, you know, uh the youth pass, which probably goes back, I don't know, maybe 15 years, um, the Com Transit Pass, which goes back about 10 years. Um, the whole yellow bus program has evolved in recent years and the yellow bus program, I, I again, I think to reemphasize my point, it looks really different in every place that it's deployed right now. Uh, and I'm talking about yellow bus service in which we're in transit's more directly involved. Um, you know, the pass price varies um, for those for those folks who are those families that are paying for the pass versus a free and reduced pass. I want to say it's in the range of three, three to $400 a year to over $1,000 per year in some places. Um, and then lastly, the measure A, double A allocation um, and the six year, you know, relook will make, be doing it, Tam. So, so if I have the numbers right, um, the, Annual allocation right now is roughly $750,000. And then there was a carry forward that brought it up to a million this last year. And just for the perspective, it costs, and let me know if I'm wrong, almost $100,000 per bus per year. So that represents 10 buses, that million or less. Um, and, you know, I think the Ross Valley program is now down to four buses to bronze like eight or nine so it's not a ton of money it's a small it's a piece of it and it helps get these programs funded um, and then the last questions last comment is i know there have been other areas that are interested in trying to expand yellow bus um, whether it's a novato um, and or a kent field and one of the constraints, there's the the financial constraints and uh, just, you know, what's the cost, you know, how are we going to come up with funding? And then there's the capacity restraints in terms of the buses, where do they get parked um, and drivers. So it it is pretty complex, but I do think to your point, um, Supervisor Peters, school traffic, school related traffic is just, is just a bear. 
And the more we can do both to relieve that and also green up trips, I think makes sense and is what our community wants wants to see happen. Um, and then lastly, just on, I'm I'm I mean we're still you guys Marin Transit is is making possible the movement of a lot of youth on a daily basis. I mean that's an astounding number, eight thousand unlinked trips a day, roughly. Um, did I get that right? Yeah, two thousand sixty five hundred to five hundred. Okay. Um, so uh, kudos to to what's happening there, especially on that supplemental service, which really moves. Our most likely customers are, you know, high schoolers. That those are the folks mostly using that supplemental service. So anyway, uh, it is complex, but it deserves our ongoing attention to, and to see how much more we can do. In addition, I would just add towards the funding piece because some of our larger, low, uh, lowering, lower funded school districts um, historically relied on much more transportation funding coming from the feds of the state, and I think there's a rule for lobbying there to see if we can't, uh, in terms of our um, Sacramento and federal efforts, especially for um, putting that equity lens on. So I think that's important as well. All right, um, thanks for indulging me. A any comment from the public, Kate? I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hands on Zoom. There are no raised hands on Zoom, thank you. Okay, and so with that, we will move on to our last item, which is the fair collection study okay. update. It's our last item of the year. Yes. <laughs> Let me just pull up. Yeah. Yep. So Kathleen Sullivan, our manager of planning, is going to present this item. Director of planning, excuse me, uh, is going to present this item. And this is an ongoing series, as you know, of, about fairs. And we're, there will be more to come. But this one is focused on the fair collection, actually. And uh, Kathleen, why don't you take it away? Yeah. Um, good morning. We're, we haven't gotten to afternoon yet. So it's still good morning, directors. Um, yes, this is one of a series. We're talking to you about fair collection and fair policy. Go ahead, next slide. Um, so this study, as you remember, kicked off last summer. We introduced it to your board in September. Last month, we did discuss fares, but more really focused on the free fare issue. I'm a little bit disconnected from the progress of the study per se. Um, so we're getting back to the progress of the study today and really focused on technology. I did want to just start by saying that we are considering all the questions you asked last month about free fares. Um, we're taking a little bit more time just to go through those fair policy um, considerations. And we also have completed our rider survey and we're still digesting the results of those um, of that survey. So we're basically gonna come in the new year with results of the survey and, and sort of implications for fair policy and answers to some of the questions you posed last month. So I'm not addressing them today, but we haven't forgotten about them. Um, the update today really is focused on technology. Um, we did some case study interviews with peer agencies, um, sort of benchmarking where the rest of the Bay Area is and sort of other industry peers and uh, I'm gonna review the packages we're actually looking at for technology for um, fare collection and passenger counting. Next slide. Um, next slide. So just in terms of recapping where we come, we came from, um, just regrounding in why we're undertaking the study, where our fare boxes are no longer gonna be supported by the manufacturer, the GFI Gen Fair fare boxes. And we're getting Clipper 2.0, which brings with it a lot, a host of new benefits for our riders, and we'll just make it a much more usable product um, for Marin Transit. 
the our goal overall is to continue to accept cash. So we we foresee cash is going to be a something we have to um, collect on the bus for the foreseeable future. But really leveraging Clipper Two um, and getting it getting more riders using Clipper Two. And there's a lot of different discount options and things that are going to be available in Clipper Two. Um, we also because our fare boxes are currently the source of our passenger counts. We have to also look at passenger counting and what we're going to use for NTD reporting and just for, you know, re reporting to this board, et cetera. Um, and then obviously fair policy, you know, we've talked about that a lot and and we will bring concomitant sort of fair policy recommendations with the final fair uh, box recommendations. Next slide. <clears throat> just a recap of the objectives. Um, as you may recall, we set forth three goals for the um, system, for the fair collection system to uh, maintain business continuity, obviously from a financial and passenger counting standpoint, to increase equity and inclusion, and to attract and retain riders in general. This is sort of a simplified set of the objectives on the right-hand side of the slide, but just to pinpoint a few, cost effectiveness, we know that's a big concern for your board um, and also for staff, operational efficiency, um, and then robust um, passenger counting is important for so many different purposes. And there's actually more different passenger data available that we don't get today that we potentially could get with some of the technologies um, that are out there. Next slide. This just goes through the phases. Um, green is uh, complete and orange is ongoing. So we're about halfway through on the study. Um, we're currently kind of in the phase two section um, and we're just starting to move into phase three you will, after today, you'll next be receiving, as I mentioned, survey results and fair policy recommendations, and then we'll bring final recommendations on technology packages, as well as um, a thorough, you know, evaluation of the costs and benefits of each of them, and then a marketing and implementation plan of how we're going to roll out the recommendations of the study, both from a policy and, a, um, you know, changes to how, how passengers will pay on the bus standpoint. Next slide. So now getting into what we learned from peer agencies, um, next slide. We did speak to um, <clears throat> five Bay Area, we sort of did a broad survey of what everyone is doing, but actually interviewed five different Bay Area agencies and then a handful of non-Clipper agencies outside the um, Clipper system, just to understand people's experience, you know, for the Bay Area, people's experience with Clipper, um, the how they've used policies and incentives to promote Clipper, overcoming some of the known challenges with Clipper, um, and then choices they've made on complementary onboard fair collection and passenger counting solutions. And then for non-Clipper agencies, we chose some that are have also put forth goals of reducing reliance on cash and um, increasing uh, use of non-cash payments, a variety of different non, non ways that aren't just paying with um, cash on the bus. Next slide. So first, this is just a little snapshot of a, it's not even all the people we interviewed, but a snapshot of where other people stand, other agencies stand on Clipper adoption. So you'll see on the right-hand side are some of our larger Bay Area, um, more urban um, peers in the Bay Area, who, which, so blue is Clipper, gray is people paying with anything other than Clipper. Um, so you'll see AC Transit, Muni, um, have higher rates of Clipper adoption, but even there, they, they're only getting to about two thirds um, due to passenger using a variety of other ways to pay on the bus. Um, County Connection is a smaller agency, a little, a little more uh, closer to Marin Transit. Um, they have very high Clipper adoption, mostly because they have a really high transfer rate to BART. 
And that is two things. One, BART has really high Clipper adoption. Um, so a lot of those passengers are already used to using Clipper, but they also have access to the BART station where there are Clipper readers where it's easy to load cash and get cards and all of that. So it's sort of two twofold why they have such high um, Clipper adoption. They have also done various fare incentives and other promotions to get their riders to adopt Clipper. Um, and then on the left-hand side, you see some of the smaller agencies are more in line with, with Marin Transit. Um, some of these agencies have had Clipper, you know, systems longer, but they just have, due to some of the barriers in the current system, especially for low-income riders, which tend to be a higher share of these smaller agencies' ridership, um, they just haven't really pushed it. Similar to Marin Transit, they haven't really pushed Clipper as a as a solution. To, like, to give a specific example, um, if you load cat for one, it's hard to figure out where to load cash on a Clipper card, as as many of you know, but also it's not immediately available. So it takes a, it takes a minute in the cloud for the cash to actually load onto the card. So you might have a couple of days where you can't actually use the card you just loaded on. That are, that's the type of thing that's going to no longer be true with Clipper 2. And so I think a lot of these agencies, in addition to Marin Transit, um, will be able to push it as an option more just because some basic barriers to its usability will go away. Um, next slide. So in general, the lessons learned from speaking to some of our peers, there wasn't anything wildly surprising, um, mostly a little aligned with and sort of reconfirmed things we already know. Um, one was keeping the fare structure as simple as possible is easier for riders. Um, and one disadvantage of having a full clipper system and a full kind of gen fare system where you have paper passes and things is it just can be kind of confusing for riders to know how to get fair media, um, what are the different options that are available? And so just simplifying fare structure is um, is a key thing to keep in mind as we're moving into this next, next phase of fare collection. Um, targeting discounts to those who need them, pretty much everyone we talk to is, is really using tar targeting those discounts to the people who are most in need, the low-income passengers, the minority passengers. Um, there are uh, most agencies have offered various financial incentives to to get people onto onto Clipper. Um, some have worked better than others, and I'll speak to that in a moment. Um, there are other agencies that are looking at just getting you know lowering the amount of cash collected on the bus just because there are costs that are uh, entailed by cash collection. Um, and then in terms of, and everyone is, is excited about Clipper too. And just that it does be just because it does res resolve some of the major barriers to Clipper use. There are some barriers that remain. Next slide. Um, and I've sort of listed those on this slide, the vending availability for Clipper cards, and then adding places to add value to your Clipper card. If you're, if you're working in cash and you don't have a bank account that can just do it on the back end through an app or um, a bank card. Um, and then some of the promotions like card giveaways, some of our, our peers did find that people didn't really understand the value of the card. So once the $20 promotional value was gone, they no longer used the card. So just being creative about how we promote and educate riders about really what Clipper is, the value of the card, um, could help with some of those. So overall, key takeaways from the peer agency interviews is... Um, there are, oh, and I didn't speak much to passenger counting. Most of our peers are using uh, automated passenger counting. So we're really looking into those options right now in our technology evaluation to see what's available. Technology has come a long way. 
we kind of, we do what we do today, mostly because it's what Golden Gate did. And then as we evolved from Golden Gate, we continue to do what we've always done. And so this is a really opportune moment to take advantage of where the technology space has gone in terms of passenger counting and see what kind of really robust data we can have access to that can help us meet our right, understand where our riders are coming from and going to. Um, there's actually, from a planning standpoint, a lot of really exciting things we can do with passenger data if we can kind of move into the the next phase of passenger counting um, and technology options. So, um, so just that alternative passenger counting alternatives are very well established and available. And then lastly, that uh, we do think we can increase Clipper usage overall, but only to a certain point. Um, so cash will, we, you know, just re-underscoring that cash is gonna be an important part of our fare collection picture into the future. Next slide. So getting into the technology packages, um, this next slide. This is just a reminder of the evaluation criteria. You saw this in September. We got the overall okay from you on technology on the evaluation criteria. So this is what we've used to start looking at the technology that's out there. Next slide. There's three main packages we're looking at. And just starting on the left hand side, um, we are going to use Clipper. Clipper's a given, basically. Um, we already have the new Clipper readers on all of our buses. It's a region-wide system. There's a lot of nice data we'll be able to get about how our riders are transferring to other systems and things through the Clipper system. So that's sort of our foundation. And all of the technologies we're evaluating are what to complement Clipper with. Um, oh, one other thing to mention on Clipper is because uh, in actually currently, and it'll be more promoted through Clipper 2, Mobile um, options and bank card options will be available. So in terms of the new age of, of payment and just the payment universe um, where you can tap a card or pay with your phone, those are basically covered by Clipper. So we don't have to look at options for that. Um, so we're really just looking at cash payment and what's the best way to get uh, to capture the passengers who are living in the cash economy, continue to pay with cash. Um, on the left-hand side, the first one, A, you'll see is um, really the simplest and cheapest of the of this range. It allows people to simply drop cash um, without any counting or take technological capabilities. It's basically like a very secure paper box where people dump their cash in. And then there's a, you know, sort of counting on the back end. Um, the next one is registering fare box. This is, um, this does have some some a little bit more technological capacity. It has a control unit that can tally passengers and has some cash and coin counting capabilities. And then the third is a full validating fare box, which is what we're using today. It's a pretty sophisticated piece of equipment. Um, it has full cash and coin counting and recognition. It has transfer passes. You can put in a $20 bill and it gives you back $18 change card. Um, it issues transfers. Um, it is worth pointing out that in, we're in this position today, validating Fairbox is duplicative of some of the capabilities that Clipper has. So it's sort of more sophisticated than we need. Um, next slide. So, oh, and I should say on those that each of those has a, um, a passenger counting uh, piece that goes along with it. So each of them looks at both cash, cash collection and passenger counting. Um, so cost of fare collection is key consideration. We put this right up front. Um, we want to be as most as cost effective as possible in the choices we're making with this next procurement of fare collection equipment. Um, and we have heard you loud and clear that the cost of fare collection is a very important consideration. So you'll see a pretty clear differentiation on um, low, medium, high in terms of the drop box, the registering fare box, and the validating fare box. 
we are uh, in the midst of validating these numbers through vendor interviews and just understanding the lay of the land technology wise. So we'll come back with more detail on the actual costs. Next slide. So this is uh, basically the assessment in, um, you'll see the um, array of options from Dropbox to validating Fairbox. So starting with alternative A, the Dropbox, uh, you don't get as much writer or financial data from the Dropbox itself, but generally that data can come from other technologies such as automated passenger counters or driver tablets. Um, these are still a very secure financial choice in terms of just the tracking the dollar from when it enters our fare box until it gets to um, the backend financial accounting software. Um, Operationally, these are the most efficient because there's no uh, delay. Passengers are just dropping the money in the box and then boarding the bus. So it's very operationally efficient from a from a rider boarding standpoint. Um, it does in some ways support the transition of riders away from cash to Clipper just because they have to do something different. There's some fare products that we're going to have to discontinue because they won't be supported by the GenFare system. Um, so it will help in our in our desire to get people to transition from cash to Clipper. Um, and then um, sort of what goes along with that is making sure that no, no cash paying customers disadvantaged in a new universe where we're using Dropboxes. So we that's where the fair policy considerations come into, you know, are really important. If we can't issue a transfer, for example, through a through the GFI fare box, do we want to discontinue transfers for those riders? We're, we're looking at that right now. Um, and so that's what will be coming to you in the new year is what's the fair policy piece to accommodate the uh, technology, what's just necessary with some of these technologies. Alternative two, I'm not going to spend much time on. It's essentially comes with some, may, most of the pros and cons of alternative one, but costs more. There We couldn't find very many agencies that are using alternative two registering fare boxes. Um, so it's very unlikely we're going to recommend that one. So going on to alternative three, there are alternative B, uh, C, I should say, the validating fare box. This is what we're doing today. Um, it's the highest cost. So you'll see a red a red dot there in the in the cost factor. Um, it does. We do get the most data from this type of box, um, and it preserves everything we have today. So it would require the least change. Um, you'll see the other red dot there is. Um, really supporting this transition. If we do desire to get people off of using these fare boxes and onto Clipper, if we keep you offering all the same fare products we do today, um, there's sort of two disadvantages. One, you have these two parallel fare structures. You'll have a whole bunch of new Clipper fare options and you'll have the parallel fare box options, which can be confusing for riders. Um, it also just doesn't, I mean, to put it bluntly, force anyone's hand on having to change over to Clipper or at least have to consider the choice of whether they want to do Clipper or or transition to some new system, new option. Um, and so um, that's some of the pros and cons of the validating fare box. Um, so based on this assessment, staff is currently leading, leaning towards alternative A. Um, we are, as I said, still collecting more vendor information. We still have a few more vendor interviews to do, and we're gonna have um, sort of finalize this evaluation to bring to you in the new year and with an actual official recommendation, but just to to let you you know, we're currently leaning towards alternative A. In your comments, you know, your comments today, we'd love to hear your initial thoughts on this so that we can take that into consideration as we're finalizing a recommendation. Next slide. So that brings me to, next slide, uh, the 
conclusion of the presentation here, um, just a snapshot of our schedule for the study, um, sort of through a different lens than I showed at the beginning. As you see, we're, we're sort of fully in the midst of the technology assessment and fair policy considerations. We'll be coming to you with recommendations early next year. Next slide. Um, I have the discussion questions on the right here is just input on technology alternatives. And then if you have any input on fair policy considerations that we haven't already heard, um, from what you all shared with us last month, um, that's sort of considering the full universe of fair, fair options we have and and fair products that we offer our passengers. This would be a great time to hear that feedback so that we can take it into consideration. And with that, I'll take questions. All right, Kathleen, that was great, uh, very thorough. So, questions and or comments, input. Yep. Um, Kathleen, great report. What are the larger transit agencies doing about their unbanked riders as far as Clipper goes? Yeah, um, so a lot of people are looking towards, so even for the larger agencies like Muni, when we talk to um, AC Transit, for example, they when they're at 63%, they've done a lot over, they were the original Clipper user back when it was called the TransLink card. So they've had Clipper for up on 20 years. And they are still only at 63%. And they've done a lot over the years to um, to try and increase that percentage. And the main things they cited was actually the account, like the, the money isn't immediately available, is a huge barrier for people who are putting cash in a, fair, in a box and then they don't immediately have access to that money is just a, it's sort of a deal breaker type of, mm -hmm. type of issue. And the fact that that goes away with Clipper 2, um, they think a, a lot more, options are going to be available for those riders, plus the um, Clipper mobile, you know, that you can pay with your phone. And then the big thing with Clipper too, is being able to pay with a, with any type of card. So you don't actually have to have a bank account. There's prepaid debit cards. There's, um, you know, other card options. Um, but then all of them acknowledge that some passengers will continue to pay with cash. So even for the AC transit 63%, I don't see, they don't see themselves getting to a hundred, but maybe they can get up in the, you know, three quarters or 80% range. Yeah. Um, question as far as if, if we're able to move to this, just a cash Dropbox plus Clipper um, for individuals that have money remaining on cards, I don't know, do we have any idea of how large that liability is at any given time? Does it expire after a rolling 30 days? Um, and if we were to make that transition, how do we take care of those customers? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if anyone knows if we can account for the amount that hasn't been used. We probably could. Or does it expire after a certain set of time? I don't think so. Um, so I think a, my first answer would be a really robust and long phase marketing plan where we try and get the word out that these are no longer going to be accepted on the bus. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where the marketing and communications plan is a really key piece of this and looking at the phases of when certain changes are going to happen and then backing that out of getting the word out really far in advance. Um, I don't know if anyone else who knows more about the fair media. No. <laughs> so just to clarify, you mean like change cards Correct. that are out yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't think we know. I don't know anymore. Okay, yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's a way to convert those. Um, but with with Clipper 2.0, um, you'll be able to tap a smartphone, tap any sort of credit card with a chip yeah. on it. Um, I mean, it'll just be seamless whether you have a Clipper card or not. And then the fare box or the drop box for cash, I think, gives us the option. So I, 
I actually think it's a really good recommendation. I think sometimes a lower tech option is the right one in this case, especially yeah. since Clipper is uh, getting their tech to where it should be. Yep. Having a a cash box that's simple um, seems like a really uh, seems like a winning combination. So I'm appreciative of of the work you've done so far. Great, Mary Beth. Following up on um, Commissioner Lukens um, uh, questions and, and focus on the cash option. I, I hear a lot in your comments about um, the value of Clipper yeah. um, and educating uh, people on the value of Clipper. And I'm wondering if we shouldn't flip that around a little bit and think about it from the customer's perspective in that to them, the value of, as you say, having to put their dollar into the machine now and not get it for days is 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 not there. Right. They are educated on what mm -hmm. the, the the program is. And I'm I'm wondering if some of the energy put in encouraging people to get on Clipper could be turned into um trying to figure out how we can make the cash option easier um, and more effective because the customers that are using cash are some of our most financially challenged um, customers um, and the ones that we want to make this as easy as possible for. Um, you know, you talk about getting an, an, an $18 on uh, uh, a ticket, change ticket. You know, that's not a realistic um, option for someone who $20 is a lot of money to, and maybe that's how they're planning to feed their family for the next couple of days. Mm -hmm. So to to think about, you know, something is, um, I don't know if this is at, at all um, feasible, but like change machines um, at, um, at, the, at the transit center so that you could turn your $20 bill into a, a dollar bill and just be able to, um, to, to do it that way, to... Um, to really make that cash option mm -hmm. as easy um, as possible for those mm -hmm. customers. Yeah, um, I'm, I definitely hear you. Um, the, I think on the point of value, I'll, I'll answer both sides. On the value of Clipper, there are gonna be some programs like a regional free and discounted transfer program that you can only access through Clipper, under Clipper 2. So you'll be able to tag your, your card on Marin Transit and then transfer for for free up to or get a 250 um discount on any any system you transfer to. Um that's only going to be available in Clipper. So there are some values to the Clipper system that we're just not going to be able to reproduce in in the cash system. Um I think the big thing we want to make sure of and this is where the fair policy comes into account is that if someone is going to continue to pay with cash that they are not in any way disadvantaged by discontinuing the GFI fare box. I think that's the big question we're trying to address from a fair policy standpoint is make sure that we're approaching this in the most equitable fashion possible. Perhaps even with a, an expanded view of our, yeah. of our, of our cash based on uh, customers to yeah. make it as, as easy and convenient and on uh, financially feasible for them as possible. Yeah, definitely. Mary. So just to tag on to that, I, I assume it's part of the fair study, but also, you know, I heard Kathleen, your example of if you don't have a credit card, you can use a gift credit card. Yeah. And like, 
understanding the costs of all those things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, that they're, they actually can be predatory as well. And so making sure we account for all of those other ways that money is collected, maybe not from transit, but from credit card companies or yep. whoever and how that focus um, factors into the bigger picture. And so do I understand that with the, with the most basic product, you don't get any of the discounts, whether it's due to age, economics, or transfer, and that really the push is going to come with one of those other two products if we want to continue some of those um, incentives or discounts outside of the Clipper program. So, so Clipper is going to provide those discounts. Yep on fair discounts and you've got to be, you're not, if you're using cash in that basic system, or if we're only getting that, that fair box recovery, we can't have any of those programs outside of Clipper. I mean, some things like, um, seniors pay a dollar, adult writers pay $2 that those types of fair policies will continue. So if you're paying with cash and you're a senior, you can still just pay a dollar to get on the bus. And that's a fair policy choice. So, you know, if we made fair policy changes to those prices, you know, those can, those could potentially change. It's been that way for quite a long time at this point. Um, and we would, so, so that example, um, I think there are also like a monthly pass is $20 for a senior or for an older adult and $40 for an adult. Um, we do need to verify with Clipper that we can keep all of, you know, our paper, pre- they could, it could transition to a flash pass or something like that. Our our hope would be that we could transition those riders onto, um, onto Clipper partially because then they can get access to those same discounts on other systems like Clipper start, for example, for low income riders. If we could get those riders educated that the, such a product exists, they could get half off discounts into San Francisco through Golden Gate. We can't control their fare policy, Golden Gate's fare policy of how much that costs. But if we could get our riders on Clipper Start, you know, maybe it could be helpful to them in getting half off of their rides to San Francisco, that type of thing. Kathleen, maybe just also to add about the accumulator. Oh, yeah. Another way that can help individuals who don't have the full $40 but, and how that might work. Yeah. So that's another product that's available under Clipper two, which is, it's basically a pay as you go. So you can accumulate up to a, up to a monthly pass, but paying one ride at a time. So rather than I have to pay $40 up front and I get a month's worth of value, I just keep paying my $2 until I hit $40 and then I don't pay anything else for the remainder of the month. Um, so that's an, that's under Clipper two will be available to riders. Um, yeah, how does that work? You pay your two dollars and a Clipper card? No, just it's just available under Clipper. Oh, so you have to have the money on, on the Clipper, Clipper card. card. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You do. Yeah. Director Casitas. We're going this way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, under the Dropbox, it looks like we collect less data than what we're collecting now. Is that just through the actual Dropbox itself? Genfair collects the the fare boxes we use today collect a lot of data as a fare box. Think what the the suggestion would be would be to the Dropbox would collect less data, but we'd complement it with something like a, a driver tally, or a automated passenger counter, which some combination of those will give us the same 
amount of data that we get today, possibly even more. It would just be through a different technology. Okay, so we don't, essentially we don't lose any data. Okay. And then um, on the Clipper, I think right now we're people, it's about 11% that people are using Clipper mm -hmm. when we're in transit. What number, and this may be premature, what number would you like to see that get up to? We've talked a lot <laughs> Besides about- Besides 100%. Yeah, we've talked a lot about that. And I think- um, I think for one, we need to think of it as a phase. So we don't, I don't, we don't really have a target number. I think it needs to be looked at as a phased, you know, hopefully the percentage will climb over time. It'll take a while to educate people. It'll take a while to get, get cards into people's hands. Um, so we've been, we have been thinking about that, but I, I don't think we really have landed on a, on a number um, quite yet. Okay. When you do the education piece, you may also want to look at how to get Clipper cards in people's hands. Because um, I know I yeah. just flipped from a regular card to a senior card because I was eligible. Yeah. I could only get it through applying. Yeah. Um, mail and app, I think, because of the ID part, or going to San Rafael Transit Center. Yeah. And those were the only two ways to do it. Um, so I'm not sure. I think San Rafael Transit Center is the only place where you can walk in and get a um, Clipper card. Yeah. One thing we've talked a lot about is could we do kind of um, uh, remote, sort of do a big push where we actually go out to all the senior housing complexes or something and help people fill out applications live, that type of thing. Um, so that's a big part of the marketing plan that we're developing is what's the easiest way to get the cards into people's hands directly rather than to, to remove the barrier of the application process to the greatest degree we're able. People are still gonna have to apply for all the discounted cards. There's going to be an application step, but we can potentially bring the application to them um, rather than making them go through the the process themselves independently. Okay, and then just one side note, I was surprised when I got my senior Clipper card, because I had a, a original mm -hmm. had Clipper card, to transfer the money over from the original account to the senior account, they charge $5. Um, it just seems we not only have like $15 left on the right. card, it didn't seem economically feasible. Yeah. And I know it's out of our control, but it's just a factor. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good, I can ask what, if the, those will be the same fees under Clipper too. I'm not sure. Thanks. I'm going to advise that you spend down that 1350 or whatever it is <laughs> <Do> some... <laughs> and then get your new card. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, any comment from the public on this item? I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hands on Zoom. There are no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. Okay. So Kathleen, I think my two cents um, that I would add, I totally trust staff making the evaluation and calculation of which type of fare box, um, cash fare box recovery model to use or yep. technology. I think you have to. I mean, all your peer surveys showed and, and the discussion shows we really have to have a, a um a cash option. Yep. There's always going to be somebody who needs trans, who needs to t get on a bus, who does not have the tech, not, who doesn't have whatever, only has cash. And I think those are the people we can't forget. Um, there's there's a the separate effort to try to get regular riders to use, you know, a clipper or what have you and take advantage of programs. But undoubtedly, there's always going to be somebody standing at the bus stop who doesn't have that and needs to get on a bus. Yep. So I just think that that's um, we just have to expect that and support those folks. Um, 
And those are, those are my only comments. So with that, um, staff, thank you so much, Marin Transit, for a great year and a board for a great year and happy holidays to everybody. And so, and we are adjourned. Thank you.